who understand our inability to satisfy the righteousness and the holiness of God. God, we stand before you a people who have been covered in your blood as you have taken the cross and taken our place. God, we worship you this morning knowing that you have covered our sin and you have made us whole. God, speak to our hearts this morning. It's your name we pray. Well, I don't know about you guys, but uh, Phil, you won't know this, but my favorite part of worship this morning was the uh, spinning plate back here that kept acting like, I don't know, like a light tower trying to direct ships in from the port. So I hope that thing will stop spinning around. It will almost be like a pastor with a disco ball behind him going live while he's preaching. And so uh, so we're going to try not to do that today. Um, but anyway, it was good to see you. What a cool time of worship. And if those things do keep spinning and distract you, Somebody with a knife come up here while I'm preaching and cut it down, okay? Uh, but it was pretty cool just watching lights go. Right by. All right. Uh, I am OCD a little bit and get distracted quite easily and uh, ADD and ADHD and all that other kind of stuff too. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Galatians chapter 3 and we can celebrate God's Word. Yeah, that's cool. Well, that was a weak celebration of God's Word, but you know, whatever. Uh, we could try again and maybe do a better job. Would that be cool? Galatians chapter 3. Uh, there you go. <laughs> you know, of all the things we celebrate in life, I think the, the Word of God would be an important thing to celebrate. So, uh, Galatians chapter 3, starting verse 15. I just want to read this passage to you, and then we're going to talk through it. Here's what Paul writes to the Galatian people. He says, Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law, introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God, in His grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? Well, it was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the death that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. All right, so let me just ask this question. You can tell me if you've heard this one before, or maybe it's a, something that you hold to yourself. Uh, here's what a lot of people will say. You know, Christianity is just a bunch of laws that are given by a tyrannical God, and His sole purpose in giving laws is to keep people under His control. Anybody ever heard something like that before? That's a prevalent thought in our society. Man, people that don't like Christianity or that disagree with God, a lot of their problem is that, oh, God's just this God of laws. He doesn't love people. He just wants to keep people under control. And so He has all these rules to follow, all these laws to obey. Now, to be fair, 
The Bible is full of laws and rules to follow. And so we see that and we go, okay, yes, God does have laws. He does have rules. Uh, but when we start to think through this as an avenue of saying that the way to have relationship with God is by obeying laws and rules, and that alone is what gives you salvation, then you start to encounter what we would call a counterfeit gospel. That we would say, and this is what's been taking place in the Galatian church, that a group of people known as the Judaizers had come into Galatia after Paul had left there. The the people had accepted Christ. A church had been planted. Leaders had been left in place. And then Paul left to go on in his missionary journeys to plant other churches. Well, behind Paul, about a year later, a group of people known as the Judaizers came in behind him from Jerusalem, and they claimed to have been sent to the Galatian church from the apostles. So they come with this mantle of weight saying, we have authority. We've been sent by the apostles to tell you that it's great that you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, but here's the deal. You also need to embrace and follow all of the Mosaic law. You need to be circumcised. You need to follow the rules. You need to embrace Judaism. You need to celebrate our customs, our feasts. Our, all, everything. You basically need to become Jewish in order to be a Christian. And so Paul is writing back to these people saying that this is not how you come into relationship with Christ. A relationship with Jesus, salvation in Jesus, comes by the grace of God that's extended to us, and we accept it through our faith that Jesus is the Son of God. His life, His death, His burial, and His resurrection are what give us hope and freedom in knowing God, and that is how we come into relationship with Him. It's not by being more obedient to rules, it's not by keeping all these laws, but it's about having a faith that we embrace who God is through His Son, Jesus Christ. So, in this portion of the letter, we're going to see that the book of Galatians reveals to us that God's plan for salvation all along has been about belief. It's been about faith. And so in this portion of Paul's letter, we're going to see him argue for the fact that God's promise, uh, his promise of a covenant relationship with his people came to Abraham hundreds of years before the law was ever even given. And so he's going to argue and say, if God is this God of rules and laws and that's what he expects for relationship, then why did he establish covenant first, relationship first, and then hundreds of years later he established law? If you come into faith in Christ by law following and obedience, what was the point of covenant? And if covenant's not good, then what's the point of law? Or if covenant is good, what's the point of all the law? And so Paul's going to help us answer a lot of these questions this morning. We're going to talk through some of these things. Um, and so if you look at Galatians chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, again, let's read this. It says this, The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The Scripture does not say into seeds, meaning many people, but into your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. In other words, Abraham was promised that there would come one who would be the fulfillment of everything God was going to do. And Paul says we see in his seed the one person of his lineage that would fulfill all of these things is all embodied and wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. So he says it wasn't for all of the children of Abraham that everybody would be part of this. It was for the one who would come, who would fulfill everything, who would keep the law perfectly. He would know how to have a perfect relationship with God and then would introduce that concept and idea to us. And so he says it's through the seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law, which was introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God, in His grace, gave it to Abraham through a 
promise. Now, if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write something down on your outline on the back of your bulletin. Or, if you like to keep up with things digitally online, you can go to the YouVersion Bible app and you can find us through the events section of that and you can keep up with all the things that are there and uh, have those notes to save on your phone or your mobile device. So, uh, here's the first blank that you can fill in and things that you can look at. Abraham was given the promise. God's covenant of relationship. 430 years before God introduced the law to Moses. So when you start to think about the covenant relationship that God had, when God came to Abraham, He said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I want you to go from your land, I want you to go to a place that I'm going to show you, and I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to make you, uh, I'm going to make you the father of, of many nations. And through you, Abraham, I'm going to give you a land to live in. And through you, all of the nations of the world will be blessed. And so God makes this covenant relationship it's all based on a promise. Abraham, here's my promise to you. I will do these things. He does not say, if you keep the Ten Commandments, which haven't been given yet, uh, if you don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which is burned up in the garden by now, right? He doesn't give any rules. He doesn't give any laws. He just says, Abraham, I love you. I want to have a covenant relationship with you. I'm going to do something through you that's going to change the entire world. It's going to change the course of history. If you'll believe me and you'll follow me. And so 430 years prior to the law being introduced, Abraham was given the promise, God's covenant relationship. And so if you look again, God initiated the plan of salvation through making this covenant. In verse 15, Paul said this, Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that's been duly established, so it is in this case. And what's Paul talking about there? He's really looking at things and saying, it's like a human covenant. And he's thinking, I believe, in this term of something like a last will and testament, right? And so my wife and I, we have a will and we've got our stuff kind of ready. And if anything ever happened to us tragically or we died in some way, we kind of know how we've left things and what our kids would get and who would take care of them and all these kinds of things. And we've established a covenant relationship with whoever writes up these documents and we've got our will and testament. And no one can change that if something happens to us and we meet our final demise, right? On the back end of us dying, no one can tamper with that document. What's written there, what's there, is supposed to be fulfilled completely. And so Abraham says it's the same way with us. If there's a last will and testament and a contract like that is binding, Paul's telling us that a human covenant is irrevocable and unchangeable. And if that's the case, how much more is God's covenant irrevocable and unchangeable? And so he says when God establishes a covenant, it doesn't change. He introduces himself in relationship to us and he says, this is how you know me, how you live in obedience to me, how you walk with me. And so this contract is binding. So the relationship with God was established in the Abrahamic covenant. When he came to Abraham and said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a great land. I'm going to make you a great nation. And through you, Abraham, the whole world is going to be blessed. That's my promise to you. Just follow me. And so when we see this established, it's not until later, much later, in fact, it's after God delivers this great nation that He promised Abraham, hundreds of years later, 400 plus years later, uh, actually 600 plus years later, when, when the nation of Israel has been birthed and when they're multiplying in Egypt and they're just growing and growing and growing, but they're slaves in Egypt. And when God moves in and rescues them from slavery and brings them out of Egypt and He starts to take them on this trek toward the land. They've already become the great nation He's promised them. Now He's taking them to the land that He's promised them. And then in the future, the great promise of all of the world being blessed will come through them because through Israel, Jesus is introduced to the scene. 
And so it's in the middle of all of this that God starts to establish not just His covenant relationship, but His law with the people. And when they come out of slavery in Egypt and come out into the desert and they're wandering in the desert, God starts to give them this law. Now, 643 years prior is when He established the covenant relationship with Abraham. Then that was passed down. It was re-promised to Isaac. And then it was promised again to Jacob. Right before Israel went into slavery, it was promised again to Jacob. And Jacob, 430 years earlier, was the last time that God established this covenant relationship and said, this is my promise, this is what I'll do, I'm going to bless the entire world through you. And now, the children of Israel have been in slavery for 400 years. And as God brings them out of slavery, He takes them to a place where He says, now, I want to continue to, to affirm my covenant relationship with you, and as a nation now, I want to govern you by giving you a set of laws to follow. I want to give you a way to walk in relationship with me. So let me ask this question. If all those things are true about the Abrahamic covenant and the things that were established 430 years plus before God gave the law, is God's plan for salvation based on having a relationship with Him? Or is it introduced by us being able to keep a bunch of rules that He's established? If we look at the biblical text, we're going to see this is all built on, based on God's promise. It's all built on and based on God establishing for himself, a people that are built around a covenant relationship. So, in doing this, then, here's the second blank on your outline. In establishing a law for his people when they came out of Egypt, here's what God's doing. He's confirming an existing relationship. He's confirming this existing relationship. He was already their God. And so following him, and following him doesn't mean that we, um, that his law... Uh, doesn't cause the relationship. Here's the next blank. The law was given because the relationship existed. So when we have this law that's given, here's what God's doing. He's saying, you're already in relationship with me, so I'm going to give you a law to follow. This, keeping this law doesn't begin the relationship. The relationship already exists. Now, because I love you and you're following me, let me give you a set of laws to govern you. Uh, Andy Stanley says it this way in his book, The Grace of God. He says, God's law is never given to establish a relationship. God's law is given to confirm an existing relationship. And so when you think about these things, you go, okay, if God's law doesn't, doesn't make our relationship right, if the covenant is what starts the relationship, what's the purpose of the law? We're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. But let me give you this illustration from my own life with my kids. As a father... I have rules. Any good parent has rules in your house. If we didn't have rules, there would be anarchy and I would kill someone. Possibly myself. I don't know how that would work. But there's rules to follow. But listen to this. As a parent, I have never once looked at my kids and said, Hey boys, if you'll follow all the rules, I'll love you and be your dad. In every case where there's a rule, I, it's always because, son, I love you and because I love you, there are some things you need to do to live in relationship with me and that we're going to get along well together. Laws are established because relationship exists. No one comes into relationship by saying, hey, I've got some rules you need to follow and if you do them perfectly, I'll like you. You would walk away from that friendship, right? If you ever met somebody and said, hey, I, I think you're kind of a cool person. Uh, I'd like to be your friend, but here's my list of rules. Anybody watch The Big Bang Theory? I'm a big fan. It's funny. Sheldon Cooper has rules for everything about life, like where you can breathe in his apartment, like all this kind of crazy stuff. And it really is like, if you want to be in a relationship with me, here's the rules to follow. But for us, God's saying, because I'm in relationship with you, 
here's some things you need to know that will govern your life. They will help you interact with me on a way that will keep our relationship strong and firm. Because I love you, not so that I will love you. There's a huge difference in those two things. And so, at this point, it's really a great time to take a look at Paul's next question. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 19, Paul asks this, Why then was the law given at all? If we already have a relationship with God, if the law doesn't establish our relationship with God, why does God give us a law at all? Here's how the New King James Version says it. What purpose then does the law serve? Well, here's what I've found to be true in my life. Most people don't mind rules and laws, even the ones we disagree with, if we understand what the purpose of the law is, right? I mean, there are rules and laws I don't necessarily like, but I'm okay with keeping some things if you say, this is why this rule exists. We used to go to summer camp all the time with kids, and when we would get there, they'd be like, hey, here's some rules you need to follow at camp, and I'd be like, this is kind of dumb and hokey. Why do you have this rule? And then finally somebody would explain, it's like, well, this kid tried to jump off of a cliff and killed himself one time, and so we just start, started establishing rules about where you can be around campus, not be on this side of the cliff, right? And so it's going, what do you do in the middle of these rules? I understand and will follow them if I understand why they're there. And so the purpose of the law and what he's going to say to us is, in verse 19, the second part, he says, the law was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. So Paul says this, the law was given because we were sinful. We were already sinful people. So what God did was He introduced the law to said, because you're sinful, you're going to do some crazy things. You're going to make some horrible choices. You're going to go some bad places. You're going to take bad paths. So let me give you some rules that will help narrow that a little bit. So you know what's right in my eyes. And as you have this vertical relationship with me, between me and God, He's going to say, I'm going to give you some things that are going to help make sure you understand how to live your life according to my ways so that in our relationship, you can strive to be holy like I'm holy. Not because this gets you into relationship with me, but because we're in relationship. Let me help you stay as close to me, connected as you can. And so Paul's going to say, it does this, the law, the next blank on your outline, the law clarified the issue of sin until Christ came. What do rules and laws do? Rules and laws clarify for our homes and our communities what's right and wrong under given leadership. So in our community, police have rules. We follow those rules. We try. I don't always do a great job. Sorry. But we've got some different rules we keep. And you go, okay, in this, in my home, I've got rules. I'm the governing authority in my home, so there are rules that are established. The mayor, the governor, the president, there are rules. And we live underneath those rules, but it clarifies what's right and what's wrong in the eyes of our society or in the eyes of our home or the eyes of our government. So when God rescued His covenant people out of Egypt in slavery... He established with them that this relationship that we're in, this is already an existing relationship. But I need you to understand, this is God talking to His people, this is an existing relationship, but I need you to understand, you're not in control, I am. And as the leader in this relationship, I'm going to establish some parameters for you to live in so that you know how to live with me. And so we start to understand what the rules are. And so we live in relationship with a holy God and He lays down laws which will help us understand how to navigate our lifestyle with Him and how to navigate our lifestyle with people. And we look and we say, if I'm going to live right with you, I need to understand how that's going to work best. And if I'm going to live in relationship with God, I need to understand how that works best. And so in the Ten Commandments, God starts telling us, the first four commandments are all about our vertical relationship, right? 
If you have no other gods before me, don't make yourself an idol, a graven image. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. This vertical relationship. Then you get the other six commandments, and they're all about horizontal relationships, right? And you start to look at them and go, hey, uh, don't steal. Don't kill people. That's a bad way to have a relationship. Uh, don't sleep with somebody else's spouse. That's not going to work well for you, right? Don't lie to one another. And so God starts giving us these laws to, to guide us and to keep us within parameters to say, these are for your good, not because I dislike you, not because I'm trying to keep my thumb on you and, and keep you from enjoying life, but because it helps you understand how to live in connection and relationship with other people and with Him in the vertical relationship. And so all of these things that we start getting to establish, we see that God gives us the law for this purpose, but there's a problem in it all. What's the problem in it all? We're not very good at keeping rules, are we? God goes, here's the deal. I want you to do these things relationally with me. I want you to do these things relationally with other people. And we go, let's see how much we can bend those and maybe break them a little bit. We're not good at keeping laws. We're not good at following orders. We're not. And so even those of us who would say, man, if we're honest, even the most sincere of us would say, I try my best. There's a story in the New Testament about a rich man that comes to Jesus and says, hey, I want to be your follower. Jesus says, well, you know what it takes to follow me. Keep the commandments. Honor your father and your mother. He goes, God, oh, Jesus, I've done all of these things since I was a little kid. I've kept all the rules. I've kept all the laws. And Jesus goes, well, then go and sell everything you have. Give it to the poor, and then you can come and follow me. You'll be uninhibited. The Bible says that the guy went away because he was sad. He was very wealthy. You know, he thought relationship was all about, look how good I've done at keeping the rules. But if he was sincere, he would have known he's not kept the rules. Even the most sincere of us in the room would say, we don't do a very good job of keeping the rules, of breaking God's law. And that was exactly God's point in giving the law. We're going to see how that works in just a minute. Here's the second or the next blank on your outline. The law was not given to save us from sin and give life. The law showed us the depth of our sin and our need for a Savior. This is what the law does. The law says, hey, don't steal from people. And then I find myself stealing from people. The law says, uh, don't kill anyone. And I'm like, oh, good, I didn't do that. And then Jesus shows them because if you have hate for somebody else, that's the same as killing them. And you're like, oh, dang, blew that one too. All right? Don't sleep with somebody else's spouse. Oh, good, I haven't done that one. Well, Jesus comes along and goes, hey, if you lust after somebody in your heart, that's the same thing as sleeping with them. And, and so you've committed adultery. Dang it. Blew that one too. Right? And so you're like, I'm, I'm all over the map here. I can't keep the rules. And the law shows us the depth of our sin. And what it reveals in me and what it should reveal in me and what it should reveal in you is to look at life and go, when I measure myself against the law, what does it do? It establishes the fact that me trying to follow these things and get to heaven is never going to work because I can't keep them. I can't get there from here. Not through this means. The law exists to show me that I'm broken and I need someone else to step in and help me. It shows me that I need a Savior. And so Paul says that's the point of the law. The law, we can't make it to heaven by working harder, being better, doing more. We need grace. We need grace. So that's what Paul's been laying out through this entire book is that salvation comes by the grace of God. That He, without having to, sent His Son to this earth. Not because you deserved it, but because you were so broken and so hopeless and helpless to get to God that He said there's only one way they're ever going to make it to me. I'm going to have to do something for them. And in His grace, He sent Jesus to come to this earth to live a perfect life. He kept the law fully. 
and to die on a cross for our sins, to take the wrath of God that we deserve and to give us hope and to give us life. So Paul closes this section of the letter by telling us three things about the law that we have to better understand of its role in bringing us saving faith in Jesus. So let's look at three functions of the law quickly. Number one is this. The law enters that it might fail, right? The law comes and it enters so that it might fail. And you're like, whoa, 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 that's weird. How, what, does that ma- what does that mean? Well, when we measure ourselves against the standards of the law, we see how short we come up, how short it is to come up to save us and how it points us to need for something greater for salvation. Like when we say, if the law comes in and we can just keep the law, we'll be right with God. But every time I try, I fail. I mess up over and over and over and over and over and over. And I look at it and I go, I'm never going to get to God through this. And Paul goes, exactly. God gave the law to show you how hopeless of a situation this was, that you can't follow these things and get to God. It was brought in to fail. Now, that's a really weird concept. But that's exactly what God was doing in pointing us to our greater need for Savior and for grace so that we didn't get to the end of things and go, I was so good, I kept all the laws. Now, God, you de- I mean, I deserve to get into heaven. You owe me. Look how good I was, God. I kept all the rules. This was about me. I don't need grace. I'm so good. And God goes, you're never going to get there that way. You need grace because you're not good. The law was given so that it would fail and so that you would realize, I can't keep the rules and make it to heaven. So what do we need? Well, Romans chapter 1 shows us how God responds to this. Romans 8, rather, Romans 8, 1 through 4, says this, Therefore, because we're in Christ, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, right? The law was powerless to accomplish this because our flesh was weak. We can't keep it. If you follow the law completely to the letter, then you can have a relationship with God. But you can't because our flesh is weak, so the the law doesn't work. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh... God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so, Jesus condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. He goes, Jesus came. He put on flesh. God put on flesh and walked on this earth. He came and He lived out perfectly the law. He obeyed God in the vertical relationship perfectly. And he loved man in the horizontal relationships perfectly. He never did anything at all that was sinful. So in his flesh, he did what we couldn't. As a result, he was able to take our place on the cross and to be our atoning sacrifice, to be our substitute. He took our place because he kept the law perfectly. Now, in doing that, when we believe in Christ for salvation, we learned this last week, that God puts his spirit in us. And when we have the Spirit of God that comes and lives in us, He says this, we don't live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So we're not trying to get to God by our fleshly ability to keep the rules. We're living for God through the Spirit that He puts in us and says this is how you have a stamp, a guarantee, a deposit that's going to get you to the end, that's going to have a relationship with me that's eternal. Because you're not trying to do it through the flesh, you're trying to get to heaven through the Spirit. And that only God gives you the ability to get there. And He puts His Spirit inside of you. So the law fails to save us because we fail to live in perfect obedience to the law. But the very fact that we can't keep the law perfectly gets us to number two. 
Here's number two. The law condemns that it might save. Look at verses 22 and 23. The law condemns that it might save. Here's what Paul says in 22. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that which was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Verse 23. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until faith that had come was to be revealed. So what we see here is the law condemns that it was saved by exposing our human wickedness. The law eliminates our, elf, our efforts at self-justification, right? And so the law points at us and says, you're not good enough. You're a liar. You're a thief. You're a murderer. You're an adulterer. You're not good enough. The law condemns us. And it always points at us and says, you can't get there on your own. But we like to feel like we're good enough on our own to earn salvation, but you can't. You can't. The law is going to point at you and say, you, you think you're good enough, but every time you evaluate yourself against me, you're going to find that you're not doing well in the horizontal relationships with God. You're not doing great in the uh, vertical relationship with God, the horizontal relationship with people. You're not doing well in these things. And so you're missing the mark. And so we start to think of things and we go, man, the law looks at me and says, man, you... Joel, you coveted that guy's stuff. I mean, you drove by and saw the nice house and the boat in the front yard and the pool in the back, and you were like, man, that, why can't I have that house? You, you coveted him and his stuff. You, you lied to people. In order to preserve you and to make sure you don't get in trouble, you lie about things. And the law is always going to point back at us and say, you can't be good enough. Over and over, the law condemns us. But here's what I love. It always does so with a purpose. What's the purpose of the law condemning us? Because if we heard, I mean, the law condemns you, we'd be like, oh, man, that really stinks. That is a terrible thing to have as a concept. What's the purpose of the law condemning us? Here's what it does. To point us to our need for grace. The law is going to condemn you and say, you need help. Let me show you where to go for that, right? And so here's uh, a quote from, uh, actually, we'll get to that in just a second. The fact that the law points out our faults is balanced by the fact that it points to our need for the only one who can save us from our sins. Now, here's the last one. Paul says the law fills one more purpose. Number three, the law guarded us and served as our tutor. Right? The law guarded us and served as our tutor. The law served to discipline people who strayed from God. So in other words, the law acts like a guardrail for our life. Every time I stray away from God and I start to sin against these things, it's like I hit up against a guardrail that's going to bounce me back toward Him. To go, hey, you're sinning. Stop lying. You're cheating. Stop cheating. You're, you're lusting. Stop committing adultery. Don't do these things. And it's like you hit a guardrail and bounce right back. And the point is to bounce you back into relationship with God, not to let you go off the cliff. So I can remember when I was in high school, uh, the one wreck that I was really in in my life uh, was with my best friend, and we were going to pick up his sister from a thing where she had spent the night with somebody. And uh, so we were on this, this dark road that we'd, I'd never been on before. And it had been raining, and it was dark and wet, and so we came across this curve. And as we hit the curve, it was already wet because of the rain, but there were also gravel in the road. And when we hit the curve, we had just picked his sister up, and I remember her and her friend were in the back seat. And it was like, have you ever been in a wreck where things just go into slow motion? It's crazy. It is the most insane feeling I've ever had. So we start sliding on the gravel and on the wet road. And all of a sudden, I just remember turning around and being, 
brace yourself, we're about to wreck. And then looking back to the front to see the headlights coming up to the guardrail, right? And we just slam into the side of the guardrail and bounce right back into the road. Well, now we're in the middle of nowhere, and we need help. So we're getting out of the car, me and my best friend. I think we're juniors and seniors in high school, these two younger girls, and we're walking around in the middle of nowhere. It is like Friday the 13th all around us, right? And so it is just crazy because we're just sure that we're going to die. And so we're going up to houses that are dark and no lights on anywhere and knocking on them. It's like 10 o'clock at night and knocking on doors. And we just feel like whoever comes to this door is going to have a Freddy mask and a gun in their hands. And we're going to die right here on their porch. It's going to be tragically bad. But the point was the guardrail saved us from going over a much worse cliff, right? You hit that guardrail, and yes, it damaged the car, and it disciplined us a little bit, but it bounced us back where we needed to be in the road, and it kept us from suffering worse tragedy and worse fate if we'd gone over a cliff. And so you see, that's the point of the law. He says it's like a guardrail. It guarded us, and it served us in that way. Martin Luther said this, the law disciplines us, and so Martin Luther said with its whippings, the law draws us to Christ. And I love that. Yes, it's brutal sometimes to be confronted with your sin and when the the law kind of whips you and says, hey, you're out of line. But Luther says it does that to draw you back to Christ. It's not because God hates you. It's because He disciplines those He loves. And so He's using the law to guard us, to keep us. Then the second thing is this, that it says that uh, He serves not only as a guard, but also as a tutor. Um, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, and so all going through school, uh, I had to have tutors in a lot of different subjects, primarily the ones that had numbers and letters in them, and so, um, which I think is all of them. When you started putting numbers and letters together, man, it got hard. And so uh, I got into this place, though, where I had to have tutors to pass things, and I had to get help, a lot of help, extra help, serious help, right? And so as I'm going through, I'm going, I need somebody to help me, to tutor me, to show me how to understand this, how to live this how to put this in application, how to just get it right on the test so I can pass the thinking class, right? Maybe I'll just brain dump it after that. But if I can just pass the test, that's great. I just need somebody to help me. And so I needed a tutor, somebody that would walk with me, teach me, show me what I was doing wrong, how to do it right. Paul says that's kind of the point of the law. The law acts as a tutor to us. Now, in Greek culture, when he wrote this, this word tutor would have been something they would have been familiar with because especially wealthy families would have had a tutor who lived with them, who helped raise their kids. And at any point in time, the tutor would teach their kids, discipline their kids, help raise the, the family's kids. And at any point in time, if the kids wanted to know something about how to function in society or how to function in a relationship with other people or what it meant to, to know God, the tutor would point them in the right direction and say, this is what it looks like. This is what you need to do. This is how you live this out. This is the path you need to be on. And so Paul's making this same analogy and saying the law walks with us to serve as a tutor, to show us how do you live with other people and how do you live with God. That's the point. That's why God gave it to us. That's why He established it. And for this, for these hundreds of years and thousands of years, this is what the law has served to do. So the law serves as a tutor for us and the law serves as a guardrail for us, a guide for us. So you can ask questions. Okay, well, what do I do in life? This is the tutor, right? Tutor, can I... Um, can I worship God and have something else that I love and worship even above Him but still have a relationship with Him? And the law of the tutor will go, no, you can only worship the one true God. Don't have idols. God's not going to be for that. Okay, uh, tutor, well then, what do you think about um, having um, something that I'm, you know, I'm kind of content but I really want that guy's things and so my stuff's okay but that guy's stuff's great. 
And the law, the tutor goes, no, that's called coveting. You can't do that and live in good relationship with him and good relationship with God. So, okay, tutor, um, you know, what do you think about sleeping with somebody that I'm not married to? And the law is going to go, look, you can't, that's called committing adultery. And you can't do that and be in good relationship with God and good relationship with that person's spouse, right? You, you can't do that. So the law is going to act as this tutor. It's going to tell us what's right, what's wrong. Now, the ultimate goal of the tutor, in this case, the law, is to lead us to Jesus. That's its ultimate goal, lead you to Jesus. Because that's where you're going to find the fulfillment and the, the, fulfillment and the promise of God. Now, finally, here's the last thing I want to look at. Galatians chapter 3. Verses 24 and 25. Paul says this, So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Some translations say we're no longer under the supervision of the law. Uh, We're made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ, not through the law. And so, um, John Stott has a quote that I love. And I wanted to bring this out to you today as we start to close this. And so here's everything that we've been talking about today. God points us to the law and says, this is what it looks like to know how to live in good relationship with me. And the law is going to say to us, you're not good enough to be in great standing relationship with God all the time because you're not going to keep these things. So it's going to point us to the need for something else. It's going to point us to the need for a Savior. And then when the Savior comes, we go, okay, what, what about Jesus? What does Jesus think about the law? And Jesus said, I haven't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. I've come to keep it fully because you can't, I will on your behalf and I'll die on your behalf. So the law's not going away. The law exists to serve you. And so John Stott made this incredible quote and I love this. He says, the law sends us to Christ to be justified. Hey, you're not good enough. You can't keep this. You need Jesus to justify you, to make you right with God. And then what does Jesus do? Jesus points us back to the law to sanctify us. Sanctification simply means to to continue being changed, to work toward maturity in our faith. So because you're going to be justified by Christ. He is your salvation. That the law is going to point you to that need. Christ, when you come into relationship with Him, is going to go, you need to look at the law so you know how to live continually in relationship with God. You're in God. You're sealed. You're marked. You're with Him eternally. But here's how you keep up His standards. Here's the guardrails you live around. Because you follow these things. So the law points us to Christ to be justified. Christ points us to the law to be sanctified, be changed. Let these things govern you and guide you to know what it looks like to be in right relationship with God and to follow Him. So the law reveals our brokenness. The Savior heals us. But then He points us to the law and says, live within the guardrails and the boundaries that God's established so you can have peace with Him. Right? So for us today as we close, if the law... And if the law is something that confuses you or that you dislike about God, I just encourage you this morning to understand that the law is there because a loving God has done everything possible to establish relationship with you. A loving God has already established a relationship with you. He wants to know you and follow, or you to follow Him. And when you come into that relationship that's already offered, He's not going to say, come into the relationship by keeping the rules. He's going to say, you come to me and let me clean you up by showing you what the rules are. This is going to help govern you, to help get you to the place you need to be to be in right relationship with me. And so, or to live in right relationship with me consistently. So God's put the law in place to serve as a guardrail for our life. And then having a moral law is designed to help keep you from falling off dangerous cliffs. And then finally, God's put the law in place to tutor us toward his solution to our sins. 
And that's salvation in Jesus Christ. So when we see all of these things, the law is God's measure of grace. You know, it's not about keeping you under His thumb and telling you you can't do things. It's about saying, there is so much that I want for you. But if you're living outside of my bounds, then you're not going to enjoy the life that I've established. So we want to point people consistently to Christ because that's what the law does. But we don't want to be afraid of the law because the law helps clean us to be like Jesus more and more every day. Let's pray together. Well, God, we love you and it's because of your grace and your mercy that we can have a relationship with you. We understand that. So, Father, I know that um, sometimes this conversation revolving around the law gets really confusing and people don't like to, to talk about rules and laws and that kind of thing. Why can't I just do whatever I want to? Isn't God's grace enough? I can do what I want and He'll just forgive me and it doesn't matter how I live. He's going to forgive me. And the truth is, God, You do offer us immeasurable amounts of grace. Father, if our idea is to take advantage of grace so that we can just do whatever we want, then we're not living in right relationship with you anyway. We don't have an understanding about what your salvation is all about. Because the gospel is that we come to you by repenting of our sin, not continuing to live in it over and over and over and over again, but repenting of sin, turning away from it. And then following you, you call us to follow you. And as we follow you, we live in obedience to you. And as we live in obedience to you, God, then we really understand what it means to make disciples of Christ, to obey you. So, Father, we just pray that you would help us today to to have a really good sense of the balance of these things so that we'll follow you wholeheartedly. I love you, Jesus. trust you, and I ask these things in your name. Amen.